the worst thing I can possibly imagine happened. Ohio State lost the game for the first time in the iPhone era, I'm pretty sure, and <laughs> gave up a crap ton of points to a team that I would prefer to see fired into the sun tomorrow. We're going to talk about it, whether you want to or not. That's right. It is time for the 11 dub guest. I'm Andy Vance, along with my partner, Johnny Ginner. You know, Johnny, I, and I should tease this up front. We are going to be joined by one of my favorite guests, scheme master extraordinaire, Kyle Jones, later in the program, who will help us diagnose the X's and O's and, and schematic issues that plague the Buckeyes really on, on both sides of the ball to some extent, but especially on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Before we welcome Kyle onto the program, I, I got to give you credit. You know, you have done yeoman's work for many years now in following that team up north. And when you and I talked about this game Friday night, you know, you weren't exactly calling for the, the Buckeyes to lose per se, but you laid out a case, I thought, uh, of what Michigan would try to do to Ohio State and kind of what the worst case scenario was that yeah. ended up being pretty spot on the money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my hat's off to you, my friend, because you were you were maybe one of the few out there saying, hey, gang, this ain't going to be a cakewalk like Michigan State. Yeah, I feel great about it. Um, so, yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. For once in your life, it sucks to be right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. And I shouldn't paint it that way because you did not call for Ohio State to lose. And no, and but I, I don't want you. I don't want you getting hate mail for no, folks saying, I didn't yeah, call well, for Ohio State to lose." But you know, well, here's the thing, though. I okay, when I called Ohio State to lose to Virginia Tech in 2014, I did get hate mail. You did call and that then, game, and then mysteriously it tapered off after the game. I'm not really yeah. sure why. Yeah, hater. Um, so look, yes, what happened was worst case scenario, but it wasn't outside of the realm of possibility, and. You know, we'll talk to Kyle about this, and I'm I'm sure he's gonna kind of you know make it a lot more nuanced than I'm about to. But Michigan is who Michigan was. You know what I mean? There was nothing super surprising about what they pulled out of their bag on Saturday. They they ran the ball 41 times. They passed it 20 times. Uh, they essentially, I mean, yeah, Blake Corum had some <laughs> some action, and of course he had that huge 55 yard run. Uh, but this was the Zahn Haskins show, and Ohio State did not have an answer for it. They destroyed the interior of Ohio State's defensive line. That's what they've been doing to other teams all season. And the hope was, of course, that Ohio State would be able to prevent that from happening. Um, you know, and then, of course, Michigan's defense did, you know, the other part of that, which is bring consistent pressure on C.J. Stroud. But in Stroud, you know, we'll get into that, too. But he had an incredible game and did a fantastic job under pressure. But as a result um, of the the pressure and disrupting timing and things like that, uh, the running game never really got going for Ohio State. So there was just a lot to hate about this, but none of it to me was particularly surprising. The thing that, you know, really jumps off the page. So Ohio State not only gave up the most points and rushing yards they've surrendered all season long. Mm -hmm. They gave up the most points that Michigan uh, has scored in the game since Harry S. Truman was in the White House. <laughs> 42 points by Michigan was the most in the rivalry since 1946. That's 75 bloody years. Uh, and, and that's not to say that Ohio State's had, you know, an 85 Bears defense every year they've rolled into this game. You know, they've gotten, mm -hmm. they've gotten their teeth kicked in before, but man, to cough up 42 points in that game. Well, and, and the hell of it was, they did it in a way that, as you know, was entirely predictable. Any idiot yeah. could have seen coming. That, that, I, I don't think that you needed um, a, a PhD, an MD, and a DVM to figure out 
how to diagnose what Michigan was going to try to do to beat you. No, but the other thing, though, that I think was really frustrating about this game is that despite all of that, right, despite the fact that Ohio State actually beat Michigan in the time of possession, which I think a lot of people might be super surprised about. Uh, and the the frustrating thing that I think that reveals is how often Ohio State also beat themselves in this game. The repeated false starts, the drop passes, the boneheaded play calling and some really critical junctures. Yes, Michigan deserved to win this game because they had a game plan that they executed incredibly well. They found their matchups and, you know, exploited really specific weaknesses in Ohio State's offensive and defensive game plan. Uh, but beyond all of that, I think this would have been an even closer game and maybe an Ohio State win if they had, if they just could avoid stepping on their own feet and they just could not do that um, yeah it's it's really interesting that you make that case because the penalties were infuriating and and you know i i as i did after the oregon game you know i know after the oregon game people were more than happy to point the finger at ohio state's offense and cj stroud got what you and i talked about extensively was a mindlessly dumb amount of hate after that game right. which by uh, the way i don't think he's getting after this game and i appreciate that because i think people did see that the guy was under constant pressure uh and still threw for you know damn near 400 yards yeah we're going to talk more about cj stroud in a minute because i to, to me he didn't do anything aside aside from the fact that ohio state lost the game he personally did not do anything to cost himself the heisman trophy in that game if anything i respect more what he accomplished because uh, according to Pro Football Focus, Aiden Hutchinson got more quarterback pressures that day than any defensive player they've tracked in college since 2014. <laughs> well, 15, and that, 15 pressures in that game from one guy. Which is which is insane. Like that's not even that doesn't even feel like a real stat, right? Because that's just so outside of the realm of what should be possible and at any level of football, frankly. Like if somebody's getting that many pressures on you, hopefully you would figure something out. Right at a certain point, and apparently Ohio State just wasn't interested in, in doing that at all. There's that um, we had we saw that video uh, that was like the game tape or kind of it was, it was from behind Ohio State's offensive line. Yeah, and you watch Hutchinson Hutchinson just annihilate. I think that's Dewan that he he was it taking is. He out. Just, he just killed him. He just, he just blew he, him up. He blew him up and pushed Dewan back. A guy who is like six foot ten and eight hundred pounds. It, Hutchinson just bull rushed the guy and knocked him back 10 feet so there's there's a certain level of give a damn there i think um that was definitely on the side of michigan as well and all the mistakes combined the lackluster play calling um the fact that michigan just did an incredible job executing what they again have been doing all season none of this was surprising to me uh that added up to a pretty bad loss for ohio state and and that you know it's frustrating um but the thing is, and I think if you want to take any kind of positives from this game, is that, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Like this is yeah. this is one of, or steel sharpens steel. Like, I guess iron in the sense that you're just like <laughs> two, two dumbass teams just like slam against each other for three and a half hours. But um, steel sharpens steel. And, and now Ohio State has a Big Ten rival that I think they can truly look at and, and try to measure themselves against a little bit in the offseason. Because now you know what you got to beat just to get to the Big Ten championship. There's no there's no amorphous you know speculative team in the college football playoff that you're going to kind of have to worry about like be it clemson or alabama or something like that you know at the end of the season right that this is what michigan is now capable of doing now you got to go beat it 
and you, you can't you can't sidestep it you can't avoid it it's going to be there every single year now is that going to be true is that actually going to happen i don't know i mean we're talking about jim harbaugh so you know maybe next season they, they come out and they're six and six or whatever. yeah and of course i mean it's there's no small amount of irony that there was a significant percentage of the michigan fan base that less than a year ago was ready to see gentleman jim out on his keister which and he should have been <laughs> given his performance <laughs> i mean we talked it, about that quite a lot you know was the, you know how much of a hot seat was harbaugh on yeah, and, and it's a it's hey, an incredible you know, story that they've made such an amazing turnaround this year i mean that, is, that cannot is. be discounted I, I i would not i would not want to be quoted on this but i'm going to go ahead and say it on a you know nationally uh <laughs> listen to podcast anyway but as much as we have joked about ohio state coaches being you know, forbidden by the Big Ten bylaws from being awarded Big Ten Coach of the Year honors. I'm not so sure that Jim Harbaugh doesn't deserve it. You oh, look, he, he absolutely he, deserves I, it. I mean, the work they have done, uh, it's, it, you know, it, it, we'll see how they do in the Big Ten Championship game here against, uh, you got Iowa, yeah. So, th- th- I mean, that'll be, that'll be an interesting game in and of itself. But I, I want to come back to the mistakes and the penalties because we kind of got off track there. Ten penalties in the game. Seven of them came in offense. So while I'm firmly of the camp that says this was a defensive loss, I I side with you wholeheartedly on the idea that man, if Ohio State just doesn't cough up five false start penalties, three of which were from Dewan Jones, who has had a pretty great season, all things considered. Yeah, uh, a couple of drop passes. You know, there was there was a sure touchdown. Chris Olave. It wasn't a great throw. But Alave had it in his hands and he dropped it. You know, so there's definitely, you know, definitely a couple of, of opportunities there that they missed. And yet the offense was still pretty good. Um, what, what do you think is going on with, with the offense and, and these, the, these penalties where they I, I, all of a sudden, like you know, a focus it's, it's not, I mean, it's, how do you not, how do you not come into this game focused and ready to go? I guess is what I'm what i'm asking maybe that's that's what blows my mind maybe you in your brain and again i'm not in the the brain of uh i can't say this for certain for any ohio state football player but you know you beat the absolute crap out of michigan state pretty effortlessly honestly a a team that beat michigan and so maybe in your head you're like you know what we got this We, we are clearly the most talented team in the big 10 uh you know supposedly the second most talented team lost to a team that we just annihilated so maybe, maybe it's, you know, maybe we just got this and I don't, you know, so much, especially on the lines is about emotion and intensity and things like that. And you could very, very early in this game tell that one team had that intensity and the other team absolutely did not. Um, and especially shows up in the running game, but the, <laughs> the, I mean, does that speak for itself? 15 pressures on CJ Stroud, three sacks. I think uh, David uh, Abjavo uh, also had a sack. Uh, forget it. It's just like, what do you, what do you do? Um, you, you said something a minute ago, you know, and you just kind of maybe buying into their own hype when you talked about, you know, Hey, we beat Michigan state with no effort required hardly. And they beat Michigan therefore the transit of property applies fan sentiment means less than nothing uh in this context but you know as i was talking to people sunday and monday um about the game that was the consensus like people just said you know what they they believe their own hype they read their own press releases you know just too too cocky uh i don't know how much of that's true or not but it certainly that seems to be the consensus among people who watch the game that 
the team that should have been the quote unquote better team, the more talented team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, was clearly the team uh, with the least amount of passion, give a damn focus, intensity, toughness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I would never have expected that from Ohio State uh, in this game, in the rivalry, but maybe there is such a thing as too much of a good thing that, that you've won it handily for so long that you no longer take it seriously. And, and maybe that's what Ohio state needs. We're going to welcome in our, our friend scheme master, Kyle Jones, the man, the myth, the legend to diagnose this disaster, Dr. Jones. Uh, number one, thanks for joining us. And in number two, you know, when we had you on after the loss to Oregon, the thing that you... you by the way, you only get to come on the Dubcast when Ohio State <laughs> loses. Sorry. That's how it goes, Jones. That's this is how it works. In in fairness to me as a booker, Jones and I tried to work out having him on midway through the season and we just we just couldn't make it work. It was it was going to happen and our schedules just never never aligned. So that's 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 not on him. We we really did try to have uh, have him on after a win, not just a loss, but yeah, sorry that you only come in to talk about the bad stuff, Kyle. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had a bad feeling on on Saturday, not just because of the game, but I thought I'm going to be busy this week, aren't I? That's what this means. <laughs> That's <laughs> I better clear my clear my my evenings and and free edge free time because something tells me people are going to all of a sudden be much more interested in talking scheme than maybe they were after <laughs> a fifty six to seven uh, shellacking of Michigan state, but well, it's good to be here. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk about the scheme, but before we even get to the scheme, the thing I was remembering is I was reading your film study Monday, uh, which is, you know, appointment reading in my universe, but I was reading your Michigan film study and, and you talked about some of the really concerning things, preparation, toughness, and so on. I was thinking back to our conversation after Oregon, where the thing that I really took away from our conversation with you then was that Ohio state looked utterly unprepared for Oregon. And once again, coming out of this Michigan game and some of the things that we saw, I, I walked away feeling like Ohio State was, again, utterly unprepared for one of the two biggest football games on its schedule. Am, am I completely out in left field or were they more prepared than I'm giving them credit for? No, not at all. I, I think that's exactly what I saw. Um, and you're right. It is, it is, you know, a little bit concerning if you're an Ohio State fan and, and frankly surprising because this is not what you're used to seeing and really if we think about it this is the third time in this calendar year that this has happened because we could have said the same thing about that Alabama game now that game there were obvious issues with COVID and um, you know it, it's a, a bit of a known fact at this point that the team really couldn't practice regularly although you know whatever that means by that point in the season is what it is, but um, yeah, the team just seemed to, to look lost in the sense where, um, you know, against Oregon, it was really the defense that looked like they had no idea what to do. Um, I think the, the biggest shock really was that for the first time in a long time, it looked like Brian Day and Kevin Wilson and that offense didn't know what had hit them. And I, I think that was probably from a preparation and game planning st uh, perspective, the most stunning thing to watch on Saturday, there was very little in the way of play action. There was very little of Stroud rolling out in the pocket. You know, if you've got defensive ends that are crashing down every play, especially because you've now put yourself in these second and long, third and long situations, 
one of the best ways to slow them down is to move the pocket, right? And, you know, I think they did a good job of throwing screens, throwing swing passes. You saw Travion Henderson catch a few balls out of the backfield that, you know, that was a really nice counter to it. But there was very little in the way of that movement game. And, you know, that, that was, I think, really surprising. If for no other reason, then we saw it a lot the week prior against Michigan State. So it's not as if it's not in the playbook or something Stroud's incapable of, of executing. You know, we know that they're capable of it. It was just surprising to see, you know, it felt like Ohio State line up every play and say, oh, shoot, Michigan's in that defense that we weren't expecting again or another new defense we don't know what to do. Let's just line up, you know, four or five wide and try to hit JSN, in, you know, in, in the seam on a slant route or a, a glance route or something like that. And granted, it worked. It's still kind of crazy to me. That's the other side of this is that the offense still put up 470 yards. Right. Still scored five times. Still did all that despite, you know, an offensive line that kept shooting itself in the foot and frankly, you know, lost one of its better players on the day. You know, Dewan had been playing fairly well relative to his counterparts. Um, up to the point that he got injured. And so, you know, after that, it was really a, a, a bit of, well, we can't run the ball. Um, and, and now we've just got to got to sit back there and throw it. And it still almost worked. So I think from an offensive perspective, it was stunning to see. It seemed as if, you know, Michigan was able to dictate what Ohio State did. And, you know, I wrote about that in the film study in the sense where all season long, one of the biggest things that Ohio State's done is it said, okay, well, CJ's not a threat to run himself, but we've got three studs on the outside and those receivers who, you know, somebody like Garrett Wilson especially, just get him the ball and he's going to make guys miss and he's going to go get you eight, nine yards on a bubble screen. So every time they line up for a run play, we're just going to check the side and see, hey, are they respecting that bubble screen? If not, we're throwing it out there, picking up eight or nine until they remove that extra body from the box. Hey, all of a sudden we've got – our, you know, advantage. It's a lighter box. We can now run the ball. And, you know, that balance creates it. Michigan came into the game and said, we know what you're going to do. They've done their homework. They came with answers to the test. And when they said, we're going to line up and respect that, that bubble because we don't want to let Garrett Wilson and JSN and those and Chris Olave just run free in the open field with the ball, we're going to take our chances with the run game. And it worked, you know, and that, that's where we started getting the toughness and, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but it seemed as if Michigan came with answers to the test. And then when they showed that look, it seemed as if Ohio state had no counter punches. And I think that's really the takeaway from a preparation standpoint is, you know, everybody has a good first drive. Everyone looked at that first, you know, first drive for Michigan on their offense and said, okay, well, you know, that's the script, the game plan. Let's see what happens after halftime. And I think the, the, the worrisome thing for an Ohio state fan is, it looked like nothing changed at halftime. Right. And that's, and that's what I wanted to ask you about though, because I've been watching Michigan and and albeit, you know, I'm, I'm dumb, right? Like I'm an idiot. I'm not going to pretend like I have any deep insight into the, the whys and wherefores of the, I I build you up every week, Johnny. No, I know. And and it's it's, right back down. Don't lie to the people, Andy. That's, that's all I'm saying. But look, I've watched this Michigan game or this Michigan team all year. I did not see, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I did not see, anything dramatically different in terms of what they were trying to do on offense, especially with the son Haskins and especially with Blake Corum being limited. Now, of course he had that giant run, right? That 55 yarder, but mm-hmm. I, w- 
I, I was baffled that Ohio State came out of the locker room in the second half. Michigan did not really change up a whole lot of what I was seeing offensively, mm-hmm. and yet they still had no real answers for that. Am, am I completely off base, or did Michigan no. do something subtle that I didn't pick up on? No, I, I think the, the challenge is that what they brought to the table, again, if you want to use the analogy, you did you do your homework, did you study before the big test? Right. You know, Michigan's not an explosive team by nature. They're a beat you to death with a, with a bunch of different ways. They've got an extremely diverse run game. And this is, this is the man ball fever dream that Michigan fans have been waiting for since Rich Rod left 10 years ago. This is it. This is that we're going to line up with two tight ends. Yes, it's now in the shotgun, but we're going to have two big bodies and we're just going to run 15 different run concepts. And I'm not joking when I say there were probably 15 different run concepts in that playbook. And that's very similar to what Jim Harbaugh did with the 49ers. It's similar to what his brother's doing now with the Baltimore Ravens. And it's similar to what they did at, what he did at Stanford. And so this is really kind of, the fruition of what was coming to fruition, what was promised six years ago when Harbaugh took that. But that's not a surprise. Like, right. I think that's, <laughs> you know, that's what they've done that get. all season. Like, and it's a diverse run game and it's not easy to defend because they throw a lot at you and they make sure that you are ready because if you, if you cheat one way or you buy one, one, one of this, they've got the counter. And if you get into that, they've got the counter to that. And, and, you know, they, I think they ran, not, not to use the play on words here, they ran counter, I think, four different ways. You know, one different concept, they dressed it up four different ways. And that was just one of the concepts they ran. And so that's the part that surprised me because, you know, it seemed as if Ohio State's, especially the linebackers, when those actions, you'd see those guards pulling and you'd see that all that stuff happening. They were just standing there waiting, going, wait, what's this? They looked like they'd never seen it before. It looked like they hadn't been a priority in practice. It looked like something that they, you know, really hadn't spent a lot of time preparing for. You know, whatever reason that is, we may find out, we may not. But that was the real difference in this game is that one team looked like it did its homework, looked like it knew what to expect from their opponent. And for the first time in a long time in this rivalry, it wasn't Ohio State. I want to talk about line play as we start to diagnose some of the, 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 the individual pieces and puzzles of this dumpster fire. I, I think one of the things that blew my mind is a week ago today, Ohio State was listed among the 13 semifinalists for the Joe Moore Award for uh, outstanding physical offensive line play. Ohio State's offensive line, you know, throughout the season had been pretty stellar on pass protection maybe less so on those run blocks, uh, but not, but not terrible. And then we see this game over the weekend, uh, as you described it, where, you know, they're just getting bullied up front and some guys who'd been really uh, pretty great all season long looked a lot less. So uh, Michigan's defensive linemen uh, just that much more talented, physical, stronger, bigger, faster, uh, did Ohio State suddenly forget how to be a cohesive line, or were we maybe fooled by the level of competition Ohio Ohio State had played up to this point? Maybe the offensive line wasn't what we thought it was. Is the answer 
somewhere in those two stories? I think it is a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think a lot of what, you know, had happened with this offensive line at times it's looked absolutely dominant, but it has been against those lesser teams. And it's been, they've been able to run the ball. Ohio state has after they've already established the threat of the pass. Right. And those things work. As we all know, we're all, you know, we're all students of the church of Jim Trestle And we all know that that balance is important, right? And the run sets up the pass, but it actually can work the opposite way. And that's been what's happened with this team is you get teams to loosen up the box and all of a sudden the run game takes off. And that can make an offensive line look a lot better. Um, There's also just that fear that gets stuck in, in the mind of an opponent of, oh, shoot, oh, shoot, oh, shoot, they can beat me so many ways. And that slows you down as well, which makes you easier to block. But at the end of the day, Michigan came in and said they didn't have that mindset of we can't compete. They were ready um, from a, you know, a mental perspective. But I think one of the things that I want to dispel here is throughout the conversation over the last two days, and, and people might have thought I was implying this in my piece, you know, I want to talk about this idea of toughness and being soft and winning the line of scrimmage. I want to touch on that really quickly because it's not about who's tougher this is not about the ability to win endure pain this is not a survivor contest right we're not <laughs> dropping you on a, on a deserted island and seeing who can make it that's toughness right that's not what we're talking about here what we're talking about is technique we're talking about the ability to get your hands in the right place to you know engage properly to win those little battles over and over and over which does have a mental component. There's no doubt about it because it takes effort and it's not fun and it's hard and you have to have the mental toughness to be able to do it. But people act as though, hey, we got to get, we got to spend more time in the weight room. These boys got to have all their goodies taken away as if it's somehow about, you know, something that has, you know, something with toughness the way that we generally think about toughness in this world. But it is about technique. And I think there is an element here where just as if, just as, uh, Michigan's coaches did their homework from a scheme perspective. When you look at the NFL, you know, guys, especially pass rushers, and you, you, you see how linemen talk about it. They study tendencies the same way that you study coaches' tendencies, right? So, okay, this guy gets his hands in here. Dewan likes to do this first. He leans a little bit more outside so we can set him up with this move. And once I hit him with the spin move, then he's going to be liable for me to get him with the rip move. And there's no question that Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo did that homework. And what it looked like is just as Ohio State didn't seem to have done their homework necessarily, um, you know, from a scheme level, you know, it certainly seemed as if that was the case with Ohio State's offensive line, that those guys maybe weren't prepared. And look, they're college kids. That's not on them to know exactly how to break down and, and understand pass rush moves at that level. That's, Again, it's a failure from the coaching staff, but it's not because, you know, Nick Petit Frere is mentally, you know, because he's weak or because he's soft, as people say. I think that's that's the misconception that I think is out there this week. So what you're telling me then is that Jim Harbaugh is a secret genius that, you know, we all knew him to actually be. And then Ryan Day is just essentially the – a personification of the ask a coach button on Madden. Like that's the, so 
Yes, one hundred percent. I'm glad you you walked away with that. That's yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but like, but just to to refine that question, I, I do think yeah. there is a reevaluation of both Harbaugh and Ryan Day after this. How warranted do you think something like that is? Because I, I do think it's it's completely fair to ask questions of preparation and scheme and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, let's start with Harbaugh. Do you think that this guy just found the right assistant coaches at a certain point? Or is his scheme, is his, is his whole persona as a coach in terms of what he does and wants to do offensively? Because you were talking about, you know, this is something that he's been doing for years. Did it just happen to click? in 2021 and then hopefully going forward it will continue to do so for Michigan I think they they definitely upgraded their coaching staff I don't think you can argue that for a second um you know obviously Mike McDonald's a, a, a great defensive mind he learned from some really great coaches you know that was something I wrote about in the offseason and you know everyone kind of shrugged at like this kid's 34 he's never called plays and blah 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 Ohio State has better talent and you know, if there's ever been an argument for coaching and player development over talent, it's what happened along the, you know, along the line of scrimmage last Saturday, especially right. when Michigan had the ball. I mean, it is just, I don't want to hear enough. I don't want to read another recruiting article or see one person make a comment about, well, we've got this guy who's committed. Yeah, great. How'd that work out for you? All those stars, <laughs> right? And, and I think what you saw was, you saw ex, an extremely well-prepared team. And that's where I say things about, you know, when we, when we break it down to Michigan takes this rivalry more seriously. I think you can say that this year. They put the time and effort into scouting Ohio State and finding all those little details and saying, here are all these little things that we are going to do to try to take advantage of what it is that they do. Did they have to play a, a, a relatively, you know, perfect game in the sense where they had to execute at an extremely high level to win that game. Yes. But credit to them. They did that. And that's a credit to the coaching staff. That's a credit to those players, certainly. And that's a veteran team in a lot of space, you know, spots. That's a a veteran offensive line. It's a, you know, they've got some veterans along the defensive front as well. And that doesn't happen on accident. Right. And so is that a sustainable thing? I don't think you're going to find Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo every year, but the same way that you don't find Chase Young on Ohio State's roster every year, as we've come to find out. So, you know, I, I think that's where you say, you know, when you look at Jim Harbaugh versus Ryan Day and how do you evaluate them, sure, you have to take the, the, the bigger picture. And, you know, this doesn't necessarily diminish, at least in my book, that Ryan Day is not a great coach, but, you know, is Ryan Day going to learn from this? I certainly hope so, because there's a lesson to be learned here, which is if you make winning this game your real priority, you're not going to walk in with the same kind of game plan and, and kind of unprepared team that we saw last Saturday. And credit to Harbaugh for finally putting together a team that seemed to have that. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, because that's the thing that, you know, we've we've talked about all season is the arc of Ohio State's defense things have kind of felt like they rise and fall on the success there because the offense has been relatively consistently strong Uh, I still think CJ Stroud has a case to be made for being the Heisman Trophy winner after his performance even maybe especially given the amount of pressure that Hutchinson and Ajabo were able to to bring to bear on him uh, still passed for a 
bucket load of yards and touchdowns and so on. But looking at this defense, you know, we started the season absolutely abysmal. Kind of have this reboot with Barnes as the play caller. Things seem to be going well, then less so. And you made a great case in your film study that really that that reboot uh, retooling maybe just papered over some of the the cracks in the foundation that that were there all along. So let's let's take this a step further. We have you know the individual units. I was really blown away that this defensive line, which which had been the quote unquote strength of the the unit all along, not a great day. Linebackers have been suspect all along. Uh, Steel, Steel Chambers has had a a wonderful season as a first time linebacker, but when your best linebacker on the team has only been playing the position for a few months, that's maybe an indictment of the whole of the whole shooting match. So where do we start? writing the ship here you know so let's take a step away from what the hell went wrong because yeah. the answers there are legion to how how do you write that ship start over i mean <clears throat> this is a just you you pull the weed out at the roots and you start over right I, I don't see any way i don't see any way that you can you know say that this is a a how do we say is there's no way that you can say that Matt Barnes is on a learning curve or that what we saw was a step in the right direction, just needing to be refined. There's, it's very obvious to everyone that Kerry Combs will not be on the roster or on the, the coaching staff next year. That's evident, right? We've known that for months, but this is not one assistant coach coming in and, and adding an idea here or there to fix this. It's very similar to what happened again. And I compared it to that 2016 uh, CFP game against Clemson where the offense just didn't show up, right? There was nothing there from that offense. And what did Urban Meyer do? Cleaned house. And all of a sudden it was Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson running things, right? The same thing needs to happen here. Whether it's one coordinator or two, this is a clean house start from scratch. Now, the, the irony of that is Ryan Day had to do that three years ago, right? After the great, you know, you had to get the Shiano out of that system. And, you know, this, this seems to be an issue where what was brought in seemed to be, you know, seemed to work that Jeff Halfley system, that single high four, three over pretty straightforward, let the players play fast worked because of the talent on that roster. But it's evident that that philosophy isn't going to fly year in and year out. And so instead what's needed is very clearly a, ability to be multiple. So what that means is we need to be able to have different strengths. We must be able to adapt on the fly. If, you know, that was the, the crazy part for me watching that game on Saturday, Michigan ran the ball down Ohio state's throat and yet Ohio state just kept coming up in the same, the same alignment every single play. Right. They didn't even move the front. They didn't even try to move the defensive tackles over a little bit, you know, put the center, put the nose tackle over the center. Try that. Like these aren't monumental shifts we're talking about here. And there, that wasn't even going on. So it's evident that again, this is a defense that has been relying on technique and relying on talent. And yet the talent isn't at the level it was in 2019. And the technique is clearly not being taught at a high level. And so what that means is you have to start over. And that include that may include Larry Johnson. And I know some people will say, and a lot of people have said, oh, but his track record, his track record. To Andy's point, look at all those five stars. 
every single guy that played on, on Ohio State's defensive line on Saturday was a top 100, and I think with the exception of Jerron Cage, was a top 75 recruit in the country. Michigan's offensive line, the highest-rated player, was number 163. You can't make excuses for this. I'm sorry. That, that's even worse than I realized. Like you, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stunned. I did not realize that little tidbit. That's nuts. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's I think an excellent point because that's a huge indictment of everybody on the defensive staff. But you know, the, I, there are a lot of times when I think there are sacred cows when it comes to that. When when there are guys on on a like let's say you know Brian Hartline is the guy that everybody is super super invested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can be just as disposable as anybody else if, if the performance isn't there. And I, I think that's an excellent point that even a guy like Larry Johnson should be held accountable for something like that. Cause that's wild. Yeah. That is a wild stat. Yeah. And I, and I think it's the reality is it's, it's a lot easier to say from my perspective and certainly it is inside the whack, uh, you know, the Woody Hayes and, you know, I, I, if there is one guy, it's obviously going to be Larry. Larry's knows more about defensive line play than I do about breathing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, right. He's got a track. I mean, is it, is it fair to say he's the best to ever do it? I mean, that's what I've been saying for I, years I now. It's hard to argue against it. That said, you know, he's culpable here. Now, what I think what you need to have happen is Ryan Day needs to have a conversation and he needs to go find the best defensive coordinator available. I don't want it to be Paul Rhodes. Paul Rhodes led the worst defense in the league in the country a year ago. Mm-hmm. Don't want to see anything having to do with that. What I would love to see is an NFL style defense. I would love to see a, an NFL coordinator come in the same way and revolutionize and modernize essentially Ohio state's defense, the same way that Mike McDonald did for Michigan's. Because if you look at the level of complexity between the two, it's not, even remotely on the same page. Ohio State's running a high school defense right now. Michigan's running the same defense that the Baltimore Ravens ran Sunday night football against the Cleveland Browns. Do you so, think though? So, but and actually, I was that was actually the question I was going to ask you is where should Ohio State, you know, approach this if they're trying to shut down Michigan and, and improve their defense overall? You know, what is that? What are the new coordinators? What are the new assistants look mm-hmm. like? But to me, I mean, you've got a team in Michigan that has a lot of senior leadership on defense, a lot of really experienced guys who can who can do that type of, of scheme. Does Ohio State have that? And will they have that next season to the point where they can make that effective? Because it's it's you know, we this seems like the back and forth that we have every time we there's consternation about the defense, right? Like it's either too complex or it's too simple, and the guys mm-hmm. can either run it or they can't, or the coaching's not there. But to me, I feel like you can overcorrect and then make it too complex, too, you know, in depth, and then guys just aren't able to run it. But that's that's coaching. Right. That's coaching, you know, and and you see this. Nobody runs a more complex defense than Alabama than Alabama. You know what right. the next most complex defense in the country is? Georgia's, because it's the same defense. Yeah. And guess what? What are we what have we been saying nationally all year long? Is Georgia might have the best defense in the country. Mm-hmm. Does Georgia necessarily have some magic defensive tree that they all rub before they go to practice every day? No, <laughs> they have good coaches. And so that's, that's the difference. So when we talk about going to get, you know, when, when coaches talk about, oh, well, you know, we want them to play loose and we, we don't want to overwhelm. What's well, because you didn't teach it to them. 
you don't have a plan for teaching. You're trying to teach something you don't know how to teach. And sure, if you don't know how to teach it, then you shouldn't do that. But that's why it's, if you can't go get, you can't shake the Nick Saban tree and get his trusted assistant out of there, get the next Kirby smart. If that guy even exists Mm -hmm. to come run your defense then go the NFL route. And then what you say is this guy's in charge of the defense and what he wants to do in terms of his defensive line play. If Larry Johnson can teach what that guy wants to do and is willing to buy in, then great. Maybe Larry Johnson's the best person to be coaching the defensive line. He probably will be. But if this guy wants to come in and say, no, I want to be doing all this and that I want our defensive lineman to do be doing less one gap penetration. They better learn how to two gap, meaning they're going to eat up blocks and hold up guys. So the linebackers can run free. Cause that's what I want. Then Larry's got to be willing to do that. And if he's not, then Ohio state might need to go find a new defensive line coach because they're certainly going to be doing that with the linebacker coach. They're certainly going to be doing that with whoever's coaching the secondary. And Oh, also, by the way, there's a special teams coach that no one's been talking about. And Ohio State special teams were not particularly great on Sunday or on Saturday either. So that spot may all of a sudden be filled by a a fifth defensive coach. So I think all of this is in play. And we we talk about, you know, the original question of what happens next is you pull it out, root and stem, start over, hand the keys to somebody who you trust, who has a system and a vision for this. And very most likely that involves, that means coming from an NFL system. So who do you have in mind? <laughs> because yeah, because <laughs> I know you, I know, I know you've got at least a couple guys that you're thinking that would be a good fit for Ohio. So there's there are a couple guys. There's a couple trees I would look down. Um, you know, there's a couple coaching trees that really kind of have infiltrated the NFL. One is the Dean Pease tree, which is uh, where Mike McDonald came from, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you know has a lot of Belichick. It's very influenced, but with, you know, what Vrabel's doing that very much. So if I'm actually Ryan Day, the first person I'm calling is Mike Vrabel, because you know he's got at least some investment in seeing this program do well, and he's going to have some ideas of who should be hired, who's the next up-and-coming guy that we can hand the keys over to. If not him, if, if Vrabel doesn't have it, the other school is, and this is getting really in the weeds, but you know, Brandon Staley is the new hot name from a defensive side and the side in the NFL, the chargers head coach. He five years ago was the head coach at, or sorry, the defensive coordinator at John Carroll for Tom Arth. So what, you know, that's a guy, he's from Perry, Ohio, about, you know, up in Lake County. Um, not saying that these guys are going to necessarily be beholden to helping Ohio state, but they're going to have an idea of who has roots in the area. They've got connections there. And so I'm shaking that tree. And one, one name, I have no idea if he has any interest in the job, if he has any connection with Ryan Day, and even if their philosophies would mesh. But um, I, Chris Shula, who is the son of Bengals coaching legend Mike Shula. Um, <laughs> Let's go. Also of the Shula coaching tree, of course, where there has been some success. Um, is I'm sorry, David Shula was the Bengals coach. Mike was the one who coached Alabama. I yeah, yeah, yeah. David, um, yes, yes. He's, he's the son of David, Dave Shula. I think um, won maybe three games in like 12 seasons, something like that. Right, right. Um, but he, uh, you know, he's from Ohio, played at Miami, or I'm sorry, played at John Carroll, coached um, at Miami of Ohio, got connections, and he had he is currently the LA Rams outside linebacker coach. Younger guy 
involved with the game planning. He is apparently the one who turned Sean McVay onto hiring Brandon Staley. Um, so that's a guy who's clearly got NFL roots, but if you could convince him to come back to the college level, you would imagine ties to Ohio could be appealing. Um, now granted coaching for one of the best teams in the league and living in LA may be tough to leave behind, but that's a place that I, I could look and say, Hey, is this a guy that we want to take a look at? But I'd much rather do that than say, Hey, let's uh, go hire Mike Tressel from Cincinnati. Right. Well, you know, that's a lot of names, but uh, none of them were uh, Marvin Lewis. And so I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the deal. You know, literally, as we were having this conversation, uh, Pete Thamel's reporting that uh, Notre Dame's Brian Kelly is going to be announced as the next head coach at uh, LSU. So, uh, you know, I guess I'm sitting here like 98% of Ohio State fans probably saying, well, Marcus Freeman's going to be the next defensive coordinator, right, Kyle? Uh, Marcus Freeman might be the next head coach at Notre Dame. Yeah, I was about to say. That's that's the reason I asked this question, because I I know that discussion has been percolating all season long that, oh, Ryan Day just needs to get Marcus Freeman. Ryan Day just needs to get that ship sailed a while back, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or Luke Fickle and him will be competing for that job interview, which will be a whole wild thing itself. That's... (laughs) It's crazy, man. We haven't even talked about it on the dubcast yet, but you you know, got Lincoln Riley, you know, dipping out of Oklahoma for USC and, and making a hundred million dollars or whatever the hell. And now you've got Brian Kelly leaving. I didn't think the dude would leave. And it's just I, I think that shows how tenuous all of this is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like and maybe here's the other thing that I would say about this. Some people might hear what you're saying, Kyle, and go you know, Ohio state cleaning house, all that, 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 that sits with me a little wrong that, that feels a little desperate, but I got to say, man, like, I believe that's how football really functions right now. Anything college and above, you've got to be mercenary. You've got, it's got to be a 100%. What have you done for me lately? Kind of business. And if you got to dump half your staff because you can get better staff, then I think a blue blood program, especially like Ohio state should absolutely do it. And that does not mean that your program is in disarray and that your team is floundering and going to be terrible forever. It just means that you need to improve and that's how you improve. Um, But I I think that that doesn't always sit well with a lot of people. It it can be seen as a sign of, you know, disorder or disarray or something like that. Yeah. And I think, but I want to, to that point is you have to evolve from a scheme perspective. And I think the right. sport thanks in large part to technology and the fact that, you know, I'm getting all 22 film set to, uh, you know, set to me all the time. And I'm, I, we've got access to all these advanced stats and all of this has allowed the speed of the learning curve to be so much more, so much more quickly accelerated, right? No longer is there, you know, a guy that runs one goofy offense in a conference and no one can figure it out for a decade. Right. That that's not how it works. I mean, if you think just just within Ohio State's own program, look at the way that Jim Trestle's offense went from prolific to outdated within a decade. And then Urban Meyer's offense of this shotgun power spread went from all world to, oh, my gosh, this is so outdated. We need to update it. So you can't sit there and say, well, we're just going to run the same thing every year. There has to be an evolution from a scheme perspective which also means a technique perspective because as you know as we've seen in the past and as we're seeing with Ohio State's defense scheme without execution is pointless and meaningless 
And so there has to be that desire to continue to evolve. And if you're just running it back with the same thing every year, you're going to see diminishing results. Kyle, I want to go back to this question about, you know, coaching staff, the, the turnover that we're likely to see in this off season, you know, as I'm looking at the pictures of the, the 11 guys uh, coaching this team, I'm, I'm not, I'm not counting, uh, you know, Mickey Marotti and any of the other, you know, non like position coaches, the quality control folks and so on. But if I'm looking at this, we've got, okay, Kevin Wilson rumored as, as somebody, uh, I think Akron is interested in picking up. We, we've just talked about, I could see what one, two, three, three, maybe four guys on that defensive side of the ball gone, uh, by hooker, by crook. I mean, really, if I'm, if I'm Brian Hartline and I guess Corey Dennis, maybe I'm the only two on the staff who hasn't already brushed up my resume, how much mm-hmm. turnover on a staff can a program absorb without it creating that kind of instability and, and chaos uh, when you look at programs like Alabama that have been successful for so long, how important is continuity versus that importance of evolution? Like it seems like Nick Saban just plugs and plays whatever former head coach uh, is on the market and it magically works. Is there a, is there a point of diminishing returns on a reboot with replacing mm-hmm. members of your staff? Well, this is why Nick Saban and, and all these successful head coaches get you know, uh, speaking engagements at leadership conferences and why they get to write books about leadership and leading from the top and all that, because they're able to instill their vision and their philosophy throughout. And I know this gets away from scheme, which is what we're here to talk about, but it is about that ability to communicate your philosophy up and down to make sure that you have buy-in across your staff so that everyone knows what you're trying to do. And that's why I personally think what Saban's done with Alabama and what Belichick has done with the Patriots makes them the best coaches at each level of the history of their sport because of that staff turnover, right? You know, Bear Bryant and Woody Hayes never had to deal with coordinators leaving every after a year to go be the head coach and, and all that kind of turnover. And that ability to be able to say, this is what we are, this is who we will be, and you are coming in as the coach to employ my system which is, again, what we say about Saban's defense every year, right? It's Saban's defense. I want someone to run Saban's defense. Saban's defense. Well, look how many defensive coordinators he's had. He's had a dozen over the last, you know, 10 years. And yet they still have that system in place. And so that's where it, it's not that, you know, overhauling is wrong. Uh, overhauling is wrong if you don't have a plan. And so I think this is, in many ways, the biggest test of Ryan Day's ability to lead this program because he's got to have, he's got to be able to say, this is what I want my defensive coordinator to be. It's not as simple as necessarily just go find the most accomplished or the guy that interviews the best or the guy that, um, you know, will sign the contract we want. It's the guy that's going to employ the plan that he wants. And also that's going to test what kind of plan does he want to have? We saw Saban, evolved from an offensive standpoint, right? He went from being that kind of, you know, NFL style, if you will, under center, kind of ground and pound, almost trestle-like offense that was really boring with A.J. McCarron and Greg McElroy, and yet they just beat teams into submission to Lane Kiffin and the shotgun spread, no huddle, doing all those things that, um, you know, he complained about. Is this what we want football to be? Now, 
Alabama runs more RPOs than anybody else because he evolved. He was willing to evolve and, you know, he bought in and now they've had five offensive coordinators, six, I've lost how many offensive coordinators they've had since lane. And yet they are still that same philosophy. So I think that's the most important thing to watch for here is, and not necessarily we're going to see in the next couple of months, it's going to be over the next year or so. What does this next defensive staff look like? And from a scheme perspective, are they able to do the things that Ryan Day wants them to be while still having the complexity and ability to, uh, you know, be multiple and be unpredictable? Yeah, I just, I look at this game and there are a thousand things that I want Ohio State to change and to fix immediately, right? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? But because that seriously, as you're watching, like that needs to change, that needs to change, that needs to be fixed. And it's, I mean, I guess from a coaching standpoint, maybe this is just me, you know, spitting to the, the hurricane here, but like, I don't know what you do if you're Ryan Day. I don't, I don't understand the, the thought process that goes into how do you fix, you know, problems one and two when the list is like 10,000 long. And it, I know it's not that like Ohio State is still a very good program and it's still a very good team, but it just, to me, it feels like trying to hone in on that first thing that you are going to address if you're Ryan Day. It feels like a really monumentous decision and also one that's impossible to make just because there are so many things that as fans, I watch, you know, we watch and we, we see over the course of the season that we want immediately changed or fixed. And it, it's not as simple as putting a guy in the, you know, the coach's booth and changing play calling duties and, and then you're done because, and that's what we saw on Saturday. Um, it's just, it seems incredibly complex, I guess, is what it was what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the best questions is remembering that one football is complementary in the sense that, you know, offenses have to understand defenses and vice versa. Right. And if you saw with going back to the Saban example, why did he hire Lane Kiffin? Because Lane Kiffin's offense did the things that he had the most trouble defending as, you know, the, the defensive guru, those were the things that he had the most trouble with were all those option runs, all, all the RPOs, all of that, you know, up tempo. And that's what he said. Fine. And if that's what I have the most trouble defending and I'm the supposedly one of the best defensive minds, then why shouldn't I start doing that? And if you're Ryan day, that's a heck of a good place to start. And supposedly that's why he wanted this single high system to begin with the one that Halfley employed. That's really, you know, as you go back, it's that Pete Carroll cover three, but you know, we're long past the days of being able to just line up in the Pete Carroll cover three and, and, you know, the Pete Carroll cover three to use that example, no one could beat it for about two years when they had the most talented defense in the, in the league. And once they started losing some of those players, the Richard Sherman's, Earl Thomas, Michael Bennett, and so on and so forth, all of a sudden that defense wasn't so hard to stop, right? It wasn't so hard to get past. So I, I think that's the question that, that Ryan Day's really got to ask himself is, was it Brett Venables and that style defense, that really aggressive attacking style, we're going to play three down linemen and just blitz the living sin out of you? Is it what we saw from Michigan on Saturday, which was a lot of zone blitzing. It was a lot of pre and post snap confusion, moving around, you know, guys not being able to give you that clear pre pre snap look. Is it the Saban style, which is 
we're going to have a structure that has an answer for everything so that you think you're in the perfect play call, but we're going to get in the perfect play call too. And so I think that's the real, you know, we really get down to what the next step is, is it's, you know, Ryan Day being having, having, being able to have a clear idea of, well, what's the most difficult thing for me to, to get past as the, you know, the leader of still the best offense in the country. They're still number one in terms of yards per game and start there. Just say, what do I hate going against and hire somebody that can do that. Thanks again to Kyle Jones. I think that was a great place to wrap up the conversation. The man has forgotten more about X's and O's schemology than I will probably ever understand. And uh, I just am tickled to have him on the program, except that it sucked to have him want to talk about a yeah. lot. We really have to do better at scheduling him uh, a positive games again. But hey, you know, Johnny, I mean, the thing, the thing I took away from this conversation is that there is a high likelihood that this uh, Ohio State staff, and this is no big surprise, will look very, very different next year. And yeah. I think the story of the next season, much like it was with a couple of Urban Myers staff turnovers, is how good a job does the head coach do at replacing key personnel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and obviously there is some key personnel to replace. So, you know, this is going to be a wild, wild, crazy offseason when it comes to coaching searches and replacements and things like that. And the reason why, I mean, obviously, you know, you just saw LSU and Notre Dame and Oklahoma and USC have this whole big thing, but like that creates, you know, cascading effects, right? Because now you got to find guys to fill those spots. And then those spots that are open from those guys are going to open. And then you got to find guys to fill that spot. And so it's just going to, it's going to create a lot more vacancies. Um, and I think Ohio state has an opportunity to try to find some dudes, but they're also going to have some competition um, because this is going to be a, this is going to be a pretty nutso off season, I think for that. Um, but I'm excited. I, I mean, I hope they can bring in some, some new faces and, and maybe some, bring in some, uh, some more motivation. And I don't know. <laughs> Jeff Halfley's maybe Boston kind of sucks. Maybe you just want to come back. Yeah. yeah I don't that, know. Guy, that guy just got his uh, contract extended. So he did, I think another five years, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, not, not uh, coming back to resurrect. Yeah. Unfortunately, go to defense Ohio state had. All right. With that, it is time for our favorite segment of the program. Ask us anything. A uh, good time to remind you that the, uh, Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com hats, t-shirts, stickers, still plenty of time to stock up for the holidays, stocking stuffers, major gifts, find them at drygoods.11warriors.com. Johnny, what do we have in the mailbag this sad week? Okay. Yeah. So as a reminder, you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. Uh, our good friend Alvin wants to know simply did Ohio state more so lose that game or did Michigan win it? Yeah, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, I think I think you can pretty much split that one 50-50. I think Ohio State did a lot of dumb things. And more often, honestly, than doing dumb things, they didn't do anything, which is the worst thing, right? Like they didn't come prepared. They didn't have a interesting or uh you know challenging game plan for Michigan to try to defend. And yeah, I, I think that was the bigger thing. It's that sometimes the worst decision is no decision at all. And mm-hmm. I saw a lot of that from Ohio state. And of course, Michigan came in with an amazing plan and it wasn't that the plan was something new. It's just that they executed incredibly well. So yeah, man, I, I think you could lay the blame <laughs> on both sides there. I don't, I don't think that was a situation where Ohio state is like, man, if we just had another shot at him, it would go somewhere. I don't know. Maybe not. 
Um, yeah, that's that that's I mean absolutely the case where you had they they won the game, strong plan executed perfectly, didn't shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, aside from what that that one interception that ended up not really mattering at all. Uh, you know, the game the, their execution of the plan was solid, and at the same time. You know, the fact that Ohio State still got all those yards of offense and scored five times and so on, they they had the opportunities to win the game. They did. Uh, had opportunities to win the game and and couldn't couldn't capitalize. The lack of preparation, that's that's where and, and all the things we just talked about with Kyle Jones, that's where I say Ohio State lost the game, but you have to tip your hat to the khaki wearing devil for having a strong plan and having these guys coached up and and ready to execute it. Well, and you know what? We've we've been really down in the dumps for obvious reasons. Um, uh, you know, trying to digest this game and figure out what happened. But it's also probably important to point out that you've got a guy in CJ Stroud who's really, really good and still really, really young, right? Like you've got you've got wide receivers who are still among the best in the country, uh, even after you lose some guys. Um, it's there are still a lot of things to be excited about with Ohio state football and the roster that they have going forward. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how they kind of try to manage that, especially in the off season. And we're acting like, you know, there's a bowl game coming up or something significant. So they, they have a chance to kind of maybe reestablish um, who they are. And I think that starts with the next game that they play. So hopefully they can do that. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I think the thing that you just said there, they, they look on the bright side or the, the silver lining is the wrong word. I mean, I said it earlier and I mean it, I think, you know, CJ Stroud has a strong case to be made as the Heisman trophy winner. Mm-hmm. What he did in that game, given the pressure Michigan was able to bring to bear. I've been impressed with him all season long. If you are listening to this and you are still among the crowd that says, yeah, well, but just don't just stop. Like that's, I realize you're never going to be convinced, but I, I really do not know what else you wanted CJ Stroud to do to win that football game. Cause the guy uh, was pretty fantastic. Well, and you're also probably, you know, you're bringing back a guy who he just has thrown for like what, 1100, 1200 yards to. I mean, it's there, there is still a lot to kind of be optimistic about i think um they just have to build on it um so this next question here this is from joe who basically wants to know he says that though this was not a good win for or good end for the buckeye season do you think that this win was enough to revitalize the rivalry to where it once was he wants a good rivalry and it was starting to get pretty stale uh he agrees with me that he wants a good michigan again and i i was hearing from a lot of places after this game that like i'll see what happens with michigan is good that's that's what you get now you should just root for michigan to be terrible all the time so ohio state will never ever lose to them those two things don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive right you can have a really good michigan team and still want ohio state to beat them every single year i don't like i understand in reality michigan will occasionally take one from ohio state uh if that's the case but as pissed off as I am about this game, a little perspective is probably needed. This is the one time Michigan has beaten Ohio state in the last decade. Okay. That that is not a sign that Ohio state is somehow falling apart or collapsing or anything like that. And I'm okay with Michigan still being a good relevant football team. Even if that means Ohio state has to step their game up to then beat that team. Um, I, I think it's silly to, to root for Michigan to want to be, Illinois, right? 
because you don't care about Illinois anymore. And we, we barely even play that rivalry, which is infuriating to me. Um, but nobody cares. And, and nobody's mourning the loss of, of Illibuck every year because nobody cares about Illinois, even though we've played Illinois almost as many times as Ohio State's played Michigan. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, again, even in, even in the face of this loss, I still believe that it's important that you have a good rival in Michigan. I think it's good for the conference. I think it's good for college football in general, and it's absolutely good for the rivalry, which frankly, I mean, you have another decade or two of this, like, is it a rivalry anymore? Is it a game that anybody cares about? Cause I know a lot of people say, yeah, forever, but you know, there are college kids right now who can remember at this point, literally two losses to Michigan their entire lives. I just think that's, that's not sustainable if you care on a macro level about this rivalry. Yeah. And then then there's, you know, there's the argument to be made. And I, I think it's a reasonable one that this game, this, this specific game will make Ohio state better. So having, having to respect your opponent, if it makes you a better team, you know, I, I guess while personally the part of me that hates Michigan with a fiery passion of 10,000 burning suns, wants Ohio State to win that game by 100 every year. I wanted to see Ohio State hang 100 on them. Uh, on, on the other hand, if this makes and having a rival that you that forces you, because clearly this game made Michigan better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they are I a mean, much better team that this was the year, cat- and you yeah. can tell was this the is the year. Right, exactly. What was the catalyst for all of that change that Jim Harbaugh was trying to do, right? It wasn't because his teams were like terrible year in and year out. It's because they couldn't beat the rivals. They couldn't beat Michigan State. And they couldn't beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You're, I, I, sorry to interrupt, but you're absolutely correct about that. That is that is 100% right. Um, and like I said, steel sharp and steel. You, you want to yeah. try to get the best possible iteration of Ohio State. And sometimes that means having to play a team that you know you have to beat at the end of every season and be on point to do so. Um, you're, you know, if, if Ohio State fans are concerned about Ohio State getting into like college po- football playoff and being exposed or something like that, then make damn sure that the teams that you have to play during the year are going to make your team that you root for good enough to where you don't have to worry about that so much. Yep. Agreed. Because I don't think that's what Alabama fans are doing. I don't think Alabama fans in the past 10, 12 years have sat back and gone like, man, you know, who knows how good this team really is? Because they've had a conference and they've had rivals that have consistently challenged them and forced them to be better than. Yeah, for, for all that really we say that. about the, the SEC and, and, you know, the mythical uh, greatness of the SEC, you know, playing the teams they play there, it, it yes, it's a top-heavy conference, but – at the same time, I mean, Alabama's had to play some good teams over the years. Yes, there's, absolutely. There's no, no question. So, yeah, okay. What else we got that, in the mailbag, my friend? Well, that's So that's Ask Us Anything. But I seriously, any other questions, anything else that you want to do and say that I'm an idiot, please send them in because I am an idiot. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, don't, I will take that heat. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I'm not saying I'm happy with any kind of loss. I am saying that as far as Ohio State Michigan goes, as a rivalry in a macro sense and a long – long view of this i just i don't want to see it die and man i gotta tell you something i i talk with young people all the time in my capacity in my job uh a lot of them in columbus could not care less about michigan now maybe they care a little bit more today right as we record I this on so. monday but i gotta tell you something last friday mm, maybe not as much and so again 
that's a positive to take from this. I don't know that it's good that Ohio State lost to Michigan. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you want other people to care as much as you care, they've got to have something that connects them to the game. What connects us, John Aginter and Andy Vance, to the game is that we grew up in the 90s, right? Late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, late 90s. And watched really talented Ohio State teams just get skunked against Michigan. That was formative. What's been formative for people in college right now is just watching Ohio State win every year. And that's it. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't create the same energy, I think, that that we might have or the same hate or the same engagement. Um, and there, there needs to be a little bit more of that with the game. I, I think that's got to happen. And, and then again, I don't want it to have to happen through losses. I think that's stupid and dumb and bad and I'm mad about it, but I also don't want to see this, this rivalry fade because it's now too important re- for the conference and for college football. You know, the real indictment will be if change doesn't happen, you know, then, then is when, yes, then, then's when you just get, you know, righteous in, right. in your absolutely at this point, you say, you know what, if that's what it takes to get better, then, then fine then we got to get better right if if change doesn't come then it's you know righteous in your mission and you don't want to be that you don't want to be that all right so let's uh let's put a bow on this thing uh you know <laughs> we come off this weekend of like god this sucks and then the silly season starts in earnest. We we've alluded to this a couple times during the program already. The biggest, the first big chip to fall, the the move of Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to University of Southern California. Were you shocked by that move? Yeah. Well, that I wasn't super shocked by, just because of who he is. You know what I mean? Like I, these always seem kind of mercenary, and, and that's not super shocking to me the the brian kelly to lsu thing is that shocking to me i i always felt that there has been very there are very few coaches as well suited for the job that they had as brian kelly at notre dame um and for him to roll down to lsu seems very weird and i don't know how he's gonna be hand- i don't know how he's gonna handle the bayou i i just i really don't know how that's gonna fit um but we'll we'll get to find out i guess then of course they we we talked about with Kyle Jones, Brian Kelly going from Notre Dame to LSU. That one blew my mind. You yeah, know, I, I guess I still don't get it. I need to read some more uh, about this. But I, you're at Notre Dame. That's one of the all time blue blood programs. You've if you're undefeated, you've got an automatic bid into the playoff every year just based on your reputation. It feels like, and really, you probably have a one loss mulligan because your noter gosh darn name i didn't see him leaving at all is it just no i mean the only thing i could think the getting into the sec like i don't that's not going to be an easy job maybe he's just sick of recruiting the midwest i really don't know i mean lsu is is probably not lsu louisiana and the surrounding area is one of the most fertile you know recruiting grounds in the country they have great football down there and, and you can get recruits but uh i don't know man it's it's just a very weird situation um because like i said i mean i thought he was perfectly suited for the job that he had um and i think notre dame fans you know as as loathsome as i find brian kelly um i think notre dame fans were all in on that dude um and you're right like the advantages that notre dame has as an institution as a program to get in the playoff it just it, it's a little it's more than a little baffling it's it's very odd all right um, handicap his successor yeah <laughs> at notre dame is it 
Marcus Freeman? Is it Luke Fickle? Is it Urban Meyer? <laughs> I don't think it's Urban Meyer. I think Urban Meyer's done with college. Um, what? Yeah, I, I think he's done. I don't think that's, <laughs> I think he's, and as badly as the Jacksonville. Somebody has already written that think piece that Urban Meyer. Oh, I'm Meyer sure. But as, as badly as Jacksonville has gone for Urban Meyer, um, I don't think he's coming back to college. Uh, God, I, you know, people love Marcus Freeman for good reason. He's, he's a great coach. I really think that that's one of those bucket list interviews for Luke fickle. And I think he'll take it if they, they ask him uh, at least so, take the so interview. Then, so then does Freeman become the head, head coach at UC? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess they could like do a trade possible. Could they like, I mean, it does feel um, like Freeman's going to end up as a head coach somewhere as yeah, opposed some, to coming back to fix Ohio State's defense. Yeah, yeah. There's some people are like, you know, you got to got to get Marcus Freeman on the horn. No, Marcus Freeman at this point has enough cachet to where he's going to, you know, he's going to be a head coach somewhere. He's not going to be uh, hanging out, you know, in, in the defensive coordinator room or whatever at Ohio State. Um, now, he, here's the only thing I want to say to throw, you know, a little grease in the in the fickle to Notre Dame train of thought okay if if you and kyle jones and i maybe all think it's at least even money that ryan day ends up back in the national football league at some point i'm not saying any time in the next you know 24 to 48 months but at mm. some point then if you're luke fickle and ohio state is your ultimate dream job yeah i'm not saying it is but one could reasonably infer that maybe it might be do you do you let Cincinnati entice you to stay for another season or two? Oh, just to try to wait it out. Yeah, because you know, I mean, uh, I don't. I for some. Let me put it this way: if a job like Notre Dame hadn't just come open, then yes, <laughs> then yes. I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. If you really do desire to get back to Ohio State at some point, the prodigal son comes back, and you know makes good and all that kind of stuff uh then sure but yeah i you know the thing about well this kind of reminds me the thing about luke fickle just real quick is that he wants to stay local right and that's why i never put in a lot of stock to like usc and and other places like that or florida or whatever because i don't think he and his family want to move that far beyond that's why notre dame to me has got to be one of those places that he could be enticed to because it's it's right it's local it's right there it's one of those huge programs those mythical programs in the midwest that he grew up with obviously um yeah i i I think that's got to be a call that he takes and it'll be interesting to see whether he decides to go with it because he's 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 had to have fielded similar calls from similar programs before you know what i mean like they're going to reach like even if it's a pie in the sky kind of thing i'm sure they're reaching i'm sure oklahoma's probably reaching out at this point um but I think that's the one he would really listen to is Notre Dame. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And that's where we're going to end it. This has been uh, an unfortunate episode of the Dubcast, but one that I rather enjoyed in terms of the conversation with Kyle Jones, because he is fantastic. And I learned something every time we talk, we'll see if any of the things we discussed come to pass. Uh, Ohio state of course has uh, a bowl game yet to play and those critical bowl game practices for a very young roster will be important in the development of the program next year when it could very well once again uh, find itself in contention for, one would hope, conference and uh, playoff championship-type game berths. 
we'll see what happens. And of course, we'll be back next week to discuss what Ohio State's uh, chances are in a relative bowl game and of getting to this bowl game or that. Will it be the Rose Bowl? Will it be the Capital One Bowl? Will it be the Poland Weed Eater Bowl? Uh, <laughs> we'll also be talking <laughs> Buckeye basketball and Ohio State wrestling, among other things, as we march toward the end of fall and on toward the holidays. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.